If you're looking to buy or sell pre-IPO stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. Since 2009, SharesPost has transacted more than $4 billion in the top private tech companies. Proven, trustworthy, secure. Visit us at SharesPost.com. On this week's Equity, Lime hitches a ride with Uber, VCs are raising billions more dollars to stuff into startups, and a look at the role of private equity firms that buy stodgy software companies then find ways to wring money from them. It's almost that time of the year again. Disrupt SF is right around the corner and will literally be bigger and better than ever. We've outgrown the various piers that line the bay and have moved the show to Moscone West. Panels across two stages will include Aileen Lee, Reed Hoffman, Ellie Wheeler, Ashton Kutcher, Ben Horowitz, and Priscilla Chan, just to name a few. Sounds like a great lineup to us. And because we love you, our dear Equity listeners, we have a discount code just for you. Head on over to techcrunch.com slash events slash disrupt dash SF dash 2018 and enter code equity for 15% off the main ticket price. What savings? This is Connie Loises, Silicon Valley editor of TechCrunch. I'm joined today by my colleague, Matthew Lindley. Hello. Crunch-based news editor-in-chief, Alex Wilhelm. Hey, guys. And our special guest in town from New York, Graham Brown, a partner with Lara Hippo. Graham, so great to have you here. Yeah, hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. You can tell he's from New York because he's the best dressed of all the dudes in the room. Oh, <laughs> I'm wearing a colored shirt. Yeah. That's, he's collar That's all you need. Buttons. That's, That's literally all you need Look, in San Francisco. I'm <laughs> wearing a gym suit covered in Tar Heel jerks. Oh, whatever. I don't want to talk about it. Everything uh, is broken. Leave me alone. <laughs> well, welcome back to the show, Lindley. We have missed you. It's good to have you this back. This week in Uber. Indeed. And in fact, what about Uber this week is going on? Okay. So as listeners know, we love to talk about Uber. No, we don't. Uh, <laughs> and it's various offshoots. So the big news this week is the electric scooter rental company Lime is teaming up with Uber to bring its scooters to more of the masses. This is an interesting deal. It's sort of two-pronged. Um, Uber is investing in Lime as part of a 335 million dollar financing round that's being led by Alphabet's venture arm, GV. This deal values the company at $1.1 billion. Um, Now, Uber also reportedly plans to promote Lime in its mobile application and slap its logo on the scooters. Game over in the scooter wars. Lime is partnered with Uber. Uber is so powerful. Its brand reach is so extensive. What do we think of this deal? I think Bird has a pile of money and a bunch of scooters, and they're going to make it go for it. I mean, the question about the Uber deal that brought to the fore was, what is Lyft going to do now? You know, is Lyft going to go after the other player in the market and pour capital into that and take a stake? Um, And can Bird survive on its own? I mean, they both have tons of money, and it's a great moment, and they're all not in SF. But, I mean, I would presume that, you know, Bird must be looking for a corporate partner. I mean, at this this point, pretty much every VC is going to try and have a scooter play. Um, mostly because the it, it does it does make sense in certain metro environments. I think like Los Angeles is a very good example where the the streets are a million miles long and or each block is like a million miles long or Vegas or something like that. And there's plenty of room on the road. Um, and Uber had bought Jump bikes. Uh, I can't remember exactly when it was when it was for a lot of money as well. So they looked for a bike play. Obviously, Lyft has its own bike play by buying Motive. Um, it's it makes I think it makes sense in some metro areas, but like. Honestly, the tariff thing has to play out before I have any strong opinion on this because it's not clear if that's going to have some kind of crazy impact on these scooters, which are pretty much all made by Xiaomi and some other, or one of Xiaomi's partners imported in and then deployed by Bird and and uh, Lime. And like they're 
right now I'm sure they're wildly cost effective and the margins are probably like better than we think they are potentially. But like, there's a lot of stuff happening on a macroeconomic level that TBD on like what happens here. I Let, guess. Let's just, let's just back up a minute. So, so basically what's happened here is Uber has this scooter company. Now Lyft is Uber's main competitor. The question is, do they also have to have a scooter company or are they going to possibly make their own? Graham, what do you think about all this? So, I don't think they do have to have their uh, partner company. I think they can go it on their own. And I, I mean, my sense, again, as an outsider, slightly informed, uh, unbiased, we're not investors in either uh, of the Limer um, or Bird, is that you've got a you know, major player who wants to be the hub of mobility, who's come in and signed an interesting partnership deal for them. Right, they want access. This gives them that. For Lime, it's a great distribution channel. It probably cuts a little both ways because their brand is now tied to Uber's, and it will be on their scooters as well. I think it's unclear how exactly how that'll play out. Um, the sort of runway in this market is enough, and I think there's enough capital to invest that if I'm Bird and I want to own that brand and that customer experience, I think I'm probably focused on a, you know heads down execution, thinking global, thinking big picture, thinking how do we build the sort of most habitual best experience for consumers. Whether or not they partner with Lyft, I think if terms were really attractive, it could make sense, but I don't think that necessarily needs to happen. There are also complications with Lyft and Bird. Um, Now, uh, Bird's founder, Travis Vanderzanden, was once an executive at Lyft after after it acquired his company. Uh, He had a car wash company many years ago. Travis then left Lyft, went to Uber. Uh, Lyft was not very happy that he <laughs> went to Uber, sued him. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the uh, what the suit was about, but they later settled. But in any case, there's a little bit of bad blood there. Lyft also has a much smaller checkbook than Uber. So if Lyft were to buy Bird, it's sort of hard to see how they would sort of pay top dollar for the company. But you raise a really good point about uh, Lime's brand dilution. So on the one hand, it gets this great distribution channel. On the other hand, it's now sort of going to be forever seen as partnered with Uber, even if Uber doesn't buy the company outright. And what's interesting here is that deal that you were talking about, Matthew, Uber buying um, jump bikes in April. So Lime also makes electric bikes, but it's sort of you wonder, like, would Uber buy Lime at some point because it doesn't need its electric bike business? It already has one. Well, it got access to the entire Lime franchise for probably, what, 30 or 40 million of that 300 and some million dollar round. I mean, it's a pretty cheap way to buy access and, and build out your platform with someone else's hard work. Uber now doesn't have to lose any money on scooters. Mm-hmm. Everyone else gets to. Yeah. I mean, kind of fantastic. And if they didn't, if they put in even less money than that to get the deal, great. Um, but just to keep in mind perspectives, Uber's worth between 40 and 70 Six, million dollars right yeah, now. Depending on who you talk to. Depending on who you talk to. Let's just call it 65 for the moment, okay? Uh, Lime's worth 1.1. Lyft is worth $15 billion, Bird's worth 2 So Bird's like, what, 13% of Lyft's market cap, where mm-hmm. Lime is like 1.5% of Uber's. There's a massive disparity there in terms of scale. So, you know, Uber could buy Lime, well, but Uber Lyft also, cannot buy Bird. Uber, Uber also has, like, its fingers in, like, many different industries. Like, they own a, a stake of DD from the Uber China swap. They own a stake of Grab, if I'm remembering correctly, from the Southeast Asia swap. Um, they're now on a stake in Lyft. They own Jump, obviously, which is like the Jump bikes are actually still branded Jump. If you kind of walk, Lime. They have a stake in Lime now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. they have a stake. They have a stake in Lime, not Bird. Um, and uh, they, you know, they own Jump, and so they, they're they're kind of like all over the place. And I think you make the the correct point, which is that they they want to be like a mobility company, and it doesn't really matter exactly how they get there. 
Um, but we also have to remember the very weird uh, uh, nebulous nature of this in which GV is an investor in Uber, but GV's parent company Alphabet is an investor in Lyft. Lyft originally had that like weird partnership with Didi and then Uber now owns part of Didi and Didi owns part of Uber. And then there's grab all over. The, like there's, it's just like, it's completely yeah, yeah, like, like less than six degrees of Kevin Bacon <laughs> here for everyone. Um, it's sort of, a, yeah, it's sort of amazing. Um, but, but I mean, I think that like, um, what we saw with the the uh, the bird deal, and what we're probably going to see with Lime, I think at this point, the we you know it hasn't quite come out yet, but Bird is clearly playing like the revolving capital door game where there's money coming in regularly at like different valuations because like again, like obviously we haven't seen the numbers, but someone's looking at them and being like, holy crap, like this is clearly you know there's something here. We don't know what it is yet, but there's something here, and it's awesome and Los Angeles and whatever I don't know about anywhere else, but um, but uh, there's so there's clearly a there's clearly a ton of capital here in the same way that like Snap had a ton of capital originally, right? And they were able to just like ma- raise as much money as they wanted to, and for for the purposes of for whatever purposes they needed. So for for Bird, you don't have to yet. I mean, wait until the capital dries up, right? Uh, yeah like i mean for i mean even for lime like you don't like for lyft like wait until the capital dries up if apple if alphabet's going to keep putting money into you then like go for it right but it's it's one of the situations where i I look at this deal and it's it's like they they get good distribution they get good brand awareness and they get good access to access to all this stuff but it's almost interesting that they kind of want to be like a platform um or that's like my interpretation of it in the same way that something like Uber or Lyft would want to be a platform where everyone kind of plugs into it and says, you know, we have autonomous driving from uh, what new, like starts with an N. I forget what the exact company name is. Um, uh, they have like autonomous co- driving companies plugging into it or they have bike companies plugging into it or they have scooter companies plugging into it. And Lime basically says, okay, we're just going to be, we're going to go everywhere, right? Um, and Uber being potentially the first one. If that's the way they go, you know, TVD, but I think it's, I think it, it's, uh, I think they, Lyman Bird kind of looked at this situation and said, okay, this is going to be a shootout. So let's, let's try and try a different strategy and see what happens. It's like, you, you know, don't, don't try to beat the Golden State Warriors at their own game. You're not mm-hmm. going to win that, right? You, Basketball? You, yes. <laughs> uh, do you use, do you use bikes or scooters when you're trying to get from Red Hook to wherever you're going? So I use City Bike. Very, city Bike, it's, okay. It's, I mean, it's really the only game in town in New York, um, and so I use it on a daily basis to get. Red Hook is, for those not familiar, a transportation desert. You're about a mile from the most, uh, from the closest subway. I take the F, but I have plenty of city bike options, and it's a really short ride um, to take a city bike over to the F and then get into Soho, which is where our office is. Um, the solution's excellent, and it's a workout, right? You lose that on a on a scooter. It's less convenient for sure. Um, on hot days, uh, you like need to bring a change of clothes, um, and it's not as fun. I mean, having used both Lime and Bird for the first time uh, earlier this week, we were in Santa Monica, or I was in Santa Monica for a couple days. Like it's a really enjoyable experience. It's slightly nuts. I mean, there are people getting on two at a time. They're all over the place. People are on the <laughs> sidewalks. Most people aren't wearing helmets, um, which 
will be interesting to see where people come down from a ticketing perspective around that because that I think would impact the consumer experience a lot. Um, but if it was in New York, I mean, there's so many complications with having it in a city where you have eight and a half million people in the most densely populated area and you have very different weather. I don't know what the sort of depreciation is in LA on one of these units, but think about what that would be in New York. It's very, very different. And then there, I think the regulation is going to just, the permitting process and how that would all work would be take much longer. Well, that's the whole point. I think we sort of get so caught up in the financing here, we stop to ask, wait a second, <laughs> are these going to take over the world? Like, you know, the VCs obviously think they will. Before I came today, I was reading this funny story in The New Yorker about this reporter who was spending some time in Washington, D.C. with his wife and was, you know, using um, these e-scooters for the first time ever. And he said, you know, sort of, I felt very sort of vulnerable on this thing. And also, uh, apparently, according to the Washington um uh, the Department of Transportation, they've been doing some sort of uh, study with uh, the bike companies and the e-scooter companies since the fall. And the pilot program has produced an interesting finding, which is not that these things are replacing cars, but they're just replacing walking. So at the end, the guy closes <laughs> his story and says, I'm, you know, I basically picked one up. I'm going back from Whole Foods to wherever he and his wife um, are heading together. She goes on foot. He's on the scooter. He's like half a half a block away from her on this like laboring, you know, scooter that's going down the street. He's like, I just parked it and I, you know, like walked over to her. And we walked home. Anyway, I just sort of feel like there's, uh, you know, the potential for us to kind of get carried away. I, I, I still am sort of, you know, I feel like it's an open question whether or not these are going to take over the world. I mean, they're not going to take over Chicago between the months of February and October. Right, I mean, because it's going to be covered in snow. So, yeah. right. are we going to have like like snowmobile scooters? Because otherwise, they're just a summer option in most of America. I mean, the great weather of Santa Monica, we all relish, and that's why everyone kind of wants to move there in the back of their mind. But there's like one square mile of Santa Monica. Good luck building a business off of that kind of climate. I mean, great, it'll work in Arizona before it bursts into flame. <laughs> um, I right, mean, well, let's also let's also like remember. Bird and Lime are definitely not the only scooter companies. There's like ten. There's, there's like spin. Yeah, spin, skip, scoot. Scoot? Like, what? All these all these all these companies. So This like, reminds me a lot of when Spoon Rocket was blowing up and all those like lunch apps meal were, kit? No, 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 the pre meal kit, like the okay. hot they bring hot lunch to your office oh, things. Right, like a seamless. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. they were all there was that moment there was like a hundred of them and they, it was all great for us because Spoon Rocket was like five dollars to have lunch yeah, brought to your office. Very five Sprig, minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now of course they're all dead. But um it was a great <laughs> time while it lasted. But speaking of uh capital going into companies, let's talk about capital going into the investors for a hot second. Um we just want to highlight a few uh, big new funds that are coming out, this being uh, the VC-themed podcast. So Scale Venture Partners has a new $400 million sixth flagship venture fund um, for Series A and B checks. $400 million, uh, in today's terms isn't huge, but it's a pile of money regardless. Index has uh, $1.65 billion in uh, new capital, including a $650 million venture fund, uh, the firm's ninth, and a billion-dollar growth fund. Uh, and I think those are both up from the prior regular and growth funds for the firm. Uh, Lightspeed has $1.975 billion in new funds, $1.8 billion for its core fund, and then $175 million for its uh, second Indian fund, I think. So that's just like three VC firms, like six funds that were announced in like two days or something. And it's kind of a ludicrous amount of capital. And I think we, we forget that these sums are not historically normal. And so we get kind of a nerd to how much money is going into VC, but you know, these all need to bring back what four or five x in gross cash. Depends so, on the stage, right? Sure, yeah, but good luck with that. I'm I'm terrified people are actually going to be able to make money's, returns money's, off of this. Money's cheap now. 
Well, Graham, what do you think? So Larry Hippo, I think, also raised uh, funds this year? We raised two new funds this year. We're we're focused predominantly at the seed stage and sort of early Series A types. So our fund's a bit smaller. We raised $120 million. um, And do you have an opportunity fund as well? And then we have an opportunity fund that's $60 million. And a large part of that's going to go to at that Series B and Series C, where we typically tap out from the seed fund uh, for pro rata. This will allow us to take advantage of that and continue to support companies sort of further on uh, in their life cycle. Uh, I think in terms of fundraising, this is, I think we're going on five years now that will have eclipsed $30 billion each year. So the num- I mean, the numbers are staggering. There's been a lot of money out there. There's been a lot of growth. And it's like not even including SoftBank. Right? No, this, right. And this is not yeah. including SoftBank. Yeah. That's yeah, the just SoftBank, domestic that is, capital. Yeah. yeah, that's just domestic capital in the U.S. And I, I, as I believe through like the first two quarters, we were at twenty billion, and so it doesn't even account for these. So we'll be well past thirty this year. Um, and these are, you know, great top tier funds raising larger amounts of capital. I think there's a lot of things that are changing. The overall ecosystem and opportunity for exits is very different than it was five years ago. Very different than it was ten years ago. You know, you look at the biggest companies in the world and their tech companies. You look at the amount of cash that's on balance sheets of the top tech companies, and it's hundreds and hundreds of billions, and they'll be making acquisitions in the future. And then there's also big standalone plays that are available too. And so I think there's more capital being raised, but there's more opportunity uh, for exits, whether it's we're also seeing a, a big move by private equity in the market, which I think we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. in a moment. Um, well, there's also a considerable amount of secondary activity. There's a now, considerable right? amount of secondary. Which I feel like a year ago was we wouldn't talk about that. And then now we actually It was have, dirty like, for yeah, a while. Yeah, now Uber's had, what, two secondaries or something like that right. come up so far? And like there's and then there was that like very strange like weird mental gymnastics that NEA did in order to spin out some of its investments into a new fund or something like that. But I mean, it's oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. We covered that. And so I, th- I think it, it's. I, I just remember, <clears throat> like three or four years ago. I think it might have been four years ago. We were sitting here and we were like, "Holy crap!" And Dreesen Horowitz just raised one point five billion dollars. That's insane. They need a Groupon and a Facebook and a Twitter <laughs> and blank and blank and blank to return that fund. And now we look at it and we're like, well, okay. Like everybody's <laughs> doing it. <laughs> yeah, but, but that doesn't mean the lemons aren't all going over the cliff together. No, it's true. I mean, I think the argument is that companies stay private so much longer. So these companies have, you know, you need more capital. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, invariably all the money that we used to slosh around in the public markets are now in the private markets, but it's still really hard to see how these companies win. I mean, one interesting thing that I've, I've I've found fascinating from for many years, uh, this was uh, data that Andreessen Horowitz had sort of centered its firm around. It was um, research by Andy Ratcliffe, who is a longtime uh, venture investor, and he'd said many years ago that there's like 15 companies a year that break out, and you have to really be involved in these companies in order to win at venture capital. So I just wonder if that number, you know, and I've talked to Mark Andrews about this, uh, in, you know, I think maybe most recently, a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, I don't think he knew the answer or, you know, I don't think he was like wedded to the 15 uh, company number specifically. But, um, you know, it's just, is, is it still 15 companies, but now they've got a global opportunity or has that, has that you know, opportunity set grown in terms of the numbers of companies? I don't know. It's, it's very confusing, but it's still hard to see 
all this money. Well, I think return. we're going to get to it in a second, but I think SaaS companies as a, as a category over the last five or eight years mm-hmm. had a lot of like really solid B plus exits. And so mm-hmm. there weren't 15 of like three, know, five billion dollars. Right. They, they were yeah. super solid and produced good returns for a lot of people, but they weren't like a breakout company like mm-hmm. an Instagram or a Snapchat mm-hmm. or whatever. They were just like pretty solid software companies. So I wonder if we have more middle successes that help support and undergird returns, well, well, even though they're not the, you know, eye popping. Oh my Lord. Facebook. Well, no one really knew MuleSoft <laughs> before they went public. No one cared. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's also like, they're like, some exits have finally happened. Like, I mean, Snap, you know, obviously things that things have not gone well, but like Lightspeed got did pretty well for Snap going public. Um, you know, Index had Dropbox. Dropbox finally went public. They are over a ten billion dollar valuation. Uh, DocuSign, um, Mulesoft, they're like they're like the some some of the eggs, Plural Site, like they're like the there are some coming out and the returns are quite good on them. So it's like if I'm if I'm Lightspeed, I'm saying, oh, well, look at Snap. Like, yeah, I mean, like, we got in early, so we're good. I mean, we're Domo's good messed up IPO is like now the exception to the rule. Yeah, We've had yeah, a yeah. pretty solid run of, of liquidity. So yeah. and also and also remember like a lot of this money is pointed at China too. So Sequoia, Sequoia is one of their big funds is targeted to China. I think Matrix Partners is yep. a lot of, they have a China specific fund. Yeah, too. yeah. Like there's, so there's a, I mean, there is a, there is a considerable amount of money pointed, pointed at those companies. There, there are some sectors now that are hot that require more capital chips is a really good example. You need pretty much like 35 to 50 million to even get off the ground. Um, well, one and thing we just saw, we just pulled our kind of global data for the venture capital market. And, Crunchbase, uh, right? Yeah, Crunchbase yeah, yeah, data, yeah, sorry. Uh, and um, it was staggering. Like, the late-stage market's exploding, and it's mostly coming from China. Yeah. Like, like the Chinese, like, we used to talk about, like, the U.S. market is, like, the big one, and then everyone else is kind of secondary. Pretty soon, it's not going to be that way. It's going to be China, and then the rest of Asia, and then U.S. will be second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not two years away. That may even actually be now, depending on how you count. Well, in terms of, like... In terms of growth stage, I mean the the biggest, a lot of the biggest startups are still in the are still in the U.S. Yeah, so. I mean I think if you looked at the actual fundraising data, Bay Area is still likely number one by a bit, but Beijing is probably second on a same yeah. basis. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean like the, the the switch over isn't like you know 50 years from now. It isn't an idea. It's no, a it's question of when. Yeah. Like especially Ant Financial's like 14 billion dollar round last yeah. quarter really skewed every late stage number, and that'll get you know that'll get digested. But I'm just I'm shocked by it. Well, so it's like. You know, like Xiaomi went public, and there's a like there's a there's now a lot of money over there, and like the I've heard, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then like uh, you know, we look at this and we say, oh my god, there's so much, and then oh yeah, SoftBank did mess everything up pretty much. <laughs> so or SoftBank changed. Right, everyone's chasing yeah, SoftBank. Yeah, yeah. So, but <clears throat> you guys probably looked at numbers maybe more closely than I, than I did. But I think was it um, Price Waterhouse Coopers released some numbers last night, and I think it was like twenty three billion dollars yeah. that was put to work in the second quarter, which is mind blowing. You used to see numbers like that, either twenty three or maybe even thirty two. Let me take a look here. But either way, it's basically that much money used to go into startups. In the course of a year, right. guys, this was one quarter. Yes, so yeah. well, <laughs> right, that's probably U.S. only. It's just yeah, U.S. Yeah, yeah. only, US, exactly. US, Thanks yeah. for clarifying. Yeah. yeah so the, in the U.S., according to our projections right now, the U.S. rounds were up three percent in Q2 uh, year over year, but money was up forty three percent, and that's mostly driven by Giant. late stage yeah, exploding. Yeah, yeah. 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 We I'm, see it, it predominantly being at the seed stage. I mean, we see. Every, I mean, everything is shifting in terms of. Deal volume staying relatively same. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, increasing in certain categories at st- seed, it's still decreasing slightly, but the average round side c- size continues to increase. Yeah. And I think it's up 4x over the past four years. And I, the 
the, 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 the yeah. average seed. Yeah, the yeah. average seed yeah, wow. deal now is um, it's like three on fifteen or something like that, right? Well, or maybe yeah, higher. On average, yeah, yeah. it probably is. I yeah, think yeah. the median's over two. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, because well, yeah, because I mean, I remember I moved here. I moved back here in like 2014, and like then we were talking about like you know two on five or two on ten or something like that. Two on five on, sounds so expensive. Yeah, yeah, which was which was like at the time it was expensive, and it was like and the two on ten or three on tens were reserved for like the alarmingly hot companies that like looked like they were gonna go absolutely crazy, and now you know you look at the set of companies that come out of like Y Combinator or Techstars and like three on 15 is like, to or two on 15 is totally normal or something like that. So it's just, it, it's, it is. I hope equity is still on the air when that no longer makes sense. We're all <laughs> giggling about how dumb that was. Cause th this show ironically has been chronicling, I, I would say the later stages of the bull market and the end of the first stage of the unicorn era. Yeah. I mean, it's been well-timed for that, but I want to see the crash and see what happens. With Graham Wright, I am interested to know what you think of, you know, we're talking about all these big fund companies that have raised giant, uh, uh, new um, vehicles this week, but there's so much going on at your stage of the game too. Just today, I wrote about two very comparatively small uh, debut funds. One is um, Wave Capital, which was founded by a couple of former uh, Airbnb colleagues and a longtime principal of uh, Madrona Venture Group, and another one is called Trail Mix. Uh, in both cases, there's not a lot of um, you know, venture capital uh, sort of um, experience, which is fine. I think, you know, sort of uniformly, these people have done some angel investing here and there. Um, but in any case, the point is, there's lots of new funds being created by sort of first-time VCs. Uh, is that becoming sort of noisy in your world, or do you see this as a positive development? I mean, I, th I think it's, it's great in that it's a lot of these, in some of the ones you mentioned, it's part of kind of the virtuous cycle of tech and tech investing in that you have successes, people come out of those successes, they've either built companies before or maybe multiple times uh, and are now moving more into a mentor, advisor, and investor role. And so I think part of that is just a, a natural cycle. And it's to be honest, it's down substantially from where it was in 2014, 15. So there's there's new funds being created. Um, that's going to continue to happen. Um, they are at least some of them are larger, and that debut funds are sometimes coming in the 50 to 100 million dollar range, uh, which is large when you're thinking about predominantly seed investing. Um, but there's, I mean, I think there's. Um, enough companies and activity being started that we're not feeling a crowding of the market yet. And also, I mean, it's probably having some of impact on the general size of seeds. Um, but it, it, the, the overall uh, landscape doesn't feel like it felt two and three years ago when it was, it was really noisy and there were lots of you know, debut funds investing small amounts predominantly in syndicate. I think what the industry needs is when new funds come along, sort of the conviction and ability to lead rounds. Mm -hmm. And that's what's what valuable. Do you think caused it? What? Venture capital should, that, <laughs> that was a diss. But why Why is there less activity now? It was not meant to be a diss. <laughs> well, now it's we're, a recorded We're just looking diss, for some sir. drama. <laughs> that's a diss track right there. <laughs> but Graham, why, why did it slow down, do you think? Um, I mean, I think we reached kind of a peak fervor there for a while. There were lots of... Um, you know, small rounds being raised sub, I don't know, sub million and a half. And those companies weren't sort of getting to the next stage where they needed to be raised the Series A. And at the same time, we're seeing 
I think the metrics and benchmarks for Series A moving out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that you're, you're seeing just fewer of those um, funds. And oftentimes it's in terms of new funds or new entrants into seed, it's often later stage funds that are coming down market occasionally. It could be corporate. It could be family offices. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily like there's a new fund popping up every few minutes and they only raise one fund and they go away. Um, it's it's often it sort like of that. people <laughs> that are, 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 are more coming. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and for the ones that came out in 2015, right, they're only a few years into their right. seed funds. Yeah. Right. So it's still, uh, yeah, it's, it's still early. But the, I mean, I think what we're seeing from the environment is there's more and more opportunity in seed, and it starts now at there's been an institutionalization of really that pre-seed round. And so sub-million dollar rounds, then you have your traditional average seed round, which I'd say is kind of in the two to three million range. And then you have seed pluses or seed extensions, which are three to five million. So seed is really expanded. It's, yeah. uh, it's expanded into seed A, B, and C rounds. There's now, yeah, there's now, th- and then a and the series A round on, I think, the latest numbers, the average is 10 plus. And so yeah. that's a much larger that round than we saw five years ago. And then I think it's just part of how the, the industry and landscape's evolving. So is we just renamed all the old rounds? Because I think, you know, pre-seed is now just yeah. seed. Seed is just A. Seed extension is well, it B. Used to, we used to, it used to be A because well, we got uh, to like capital or round J. It'd be yeah. ridiculous. So we had to like go back. <laughs> well, if people would stop raising, you know, series I's and series J's, we wouldn't be in this problem. They would just go public occasionally. Yeah. Um, but on the later stages uh, of the world, we were talking about some private equity stuff. Lindley, what's going on with that? Yeah, so, um, so there was this extremely excellent story that came out this week. Um, about from the Wall Street Journal, which like I love everything about this story about Vista Equity Partners. So um, they've done a considerable amount of private equity investing, and that obviously like we don't really talk about this stuff, but uh, essentially the uh, it was a it was a look inside of uh, the almost want to say like algorithmization of detecting of like finding companies like SaaS companies that need to essentially like they need to grab and like b- pick apart and take away the pieces that aren't necessarily good or, or aren't very efficient or things like that package it, duct tape it back together and then put it back onto the public markets or something like that um, and uh, and and essentially the it, it goes through the they have like pattern recognition and like different different essentially mar- essentially markers that indicate whether or not a company can actually be like successfully invested in and and rejiggered and things like that. So, um, so, so this is great because we are also in the past two, three weeks or something like that, talking about the, what it could potentially be the net result of the largest LBO in, in tech history, which was when Silver Lake partners in, in conjunction with Michael Dell and the rest of them took Dell private originally. Mm-hmm. And now they are potentially about to get like a sick payout <laughs> when it goes public again. I'm very cross by yeah. the way that they're doing this because it was such a bear to cover it going private because of all the different financial terms yeah. that it went through and all the different bidding and all the blah, blah, blah. Now they're bringing it back. Like it yeah. just feels rude to me. It's great. No, <laughs> I don't want to do it it's again. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but so, so just, so just like a quick rundown there, like there are a number of different private equity firms like Vista Equity Partners or Silver Lake or, or things like that, where the, the strategy is you look at distressed SaaS company, SaaS usually, um, mm. these days, uh, you look at distressed SaaS assets, you say like, okay, we're going to, we're going to pretty much well, buy. They're, they're not even necessarily distressed, I think is yeah. the thing. Like the companies are traded publicly and they're doing okay. Yeah. 
Um, but in some cases, they were selling, so, so, you know, like package software. Like I think LegalZoom, for example, yeah, yeah. was like a, a company that maybe Primera, uh, yeah. another private equity fund, bought, and they turned them into a subscription business. But what's so interesting about the story that you're talking about in the journal is, uh, yeah, they really delve into sort of like the secret sauce of what they're looking for. And so it's sort of like they buy these SaaS companies, uh, often public. They then um, t- you know, put like Vista, for example, has like a team of 100 people apparently that go into these um companies and they change the contract so they sort of they, I mean I guess probably with you know consent but you know maybe it's not so obvious no I'm kidding I, I have no idea how it works but they basically you know they make the contracts richer they make everything sort of operate more quickly they have personality tests so they're trying to when they absorb a company I think they're trying to frankly get rid of a lot of the highest paid employees they're trying to find out who's the most capable uh you know who's maybe sort of younger and cheaper um yeah so so just to be, just to be perfectly clear we'll 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 tweak the definition slightly we're rolling back three years it used to be that private equity companies would come in buy distressed SaaS assets, SaaS right, assets right. Yeah. take it apart and then re- repackage and, and on sell the note they used to go in and buy distressed SaaS for two or three x times uh, ARR and yeah. uh, I was at a, one of those interminable VC dinners about three months ago and yeah, well yeah, I survived <laughs> uh, and they were talking about how you know PE companies are now paying full price for SaaS companies because they're so convinced that a model works this is before the story came out that they can pay a higher multiple and still make the math work yeah. because they can still rip out enough costs to get to cash flow positivity and you can resell later. Well, also, um, they didn't used to do, they used to have, buy companies that had hard assets. Yeah. So nobody wanted to touch this stuff. Now, the journal credits Vista for um, convincing everyone that a SaaS business, this recurring business model, is sufficient to sort of, um, you know, buy the company and kind of bring on debt because of this re- these recurring payouts. But what's changed is they did such a good sales job that all the uh, sort of private equity firms are now chasing after these SaaS deals. So they're driving up the, the cost of them. And that's why uh, Vista's raising the biggest fund ever, mm-hmm. and that's why we're seeing just general uh, price inflation for these assets uh, in the short term. And you know, if the public market multiples change, let's say they go down by one or two x, you know, ARR, if the market slipped by I don't know a couple dozen points in the Nasdaq, all of these people that overpaid will be holding the bag on companies they now have to hold on to, grow longer, and mm-hmm. then exit. So mm-hmm. that could also put a weird, you know, dent in the IPO window the next couple of years. I'm excited about all this. I think SaaS is one of the cooler things we've done in tech in the last 15 years, but that's because I'm boring. Uh, <laughs> and on that note, and on that note, we are dramatically over time. So we're gonna leave it there and we'll be back next week. Thank you all. Peace. All right everybody. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. We I'm holding. we can't end just yet. Because because we it's forgot one of the single greatest quotes of all time. One, of the, ended up in this one of the best quotes in the Vista story, and this doesn't happen in private equity coverage much, but there Ever. was there was a joke uh, that was brilliant, and we're gonna let our guest say the line. So what what did they say? It, it was it was legendary. It was from the founder Robert Smith. Uh, I'll probably butcher this slightly, but it was all software companies taste like chicken. <laughs> They may have different products, but they're 80% the same thing. Something along those lines. It was just amazing. (laughs) And and that's why your startup isn't special. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And a big thank you to Matthew Lindley, Connie Loizos, our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet. And we will see you all right here next week. 